Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book entitled The Private Key to Heaven. It's written by Thomas Brooks, the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. And he's been answering objections to private prayer. One person might say, we are too weak to pray. And Mr. Brooks would say, you must distinguish guilt from weakness. Sixthly, and lastly, I shall answer this objection by way of distinction. Thus, first, there is a contracted indisposition to private prayer. And there is an involuntary indisposition to private prayer. There is a contracted indisposition. And, and that is when a man, by his a willful sinning against light, knowledge, conviction, and so on, contracts that guilt that lies as a load upon his conscience. Now, guilt makes the soul shy of God. And the greater the guilt is, the more shy the soul is of drawing near to God in a corner. The child that is sensibly under guilt hides himself, as Adam did, in the day from his father's eye. And at night he slips to bed by avoiding either a chiding or a whipping from his father. Guilt makes a man fly from God and fly from prayer. It is a hard thing to look God in the face when guilt stares a man in the face. Guilt makes a man a terror to himself. Now when a man is a terror to himself, he's neither fit to live, nor fit to die, nor fit to pray. When poison gets into the body, it works upon the spirits, and it weakens the spirits, and it endangers life, and unfits and indisposes a man to all natural actions. It is so here. When guilt lies heavy upon the conscience, it works upon the soul, it weakens the soul, it endangers the soul, and it doth wonderfully unfit and indispose the soul to all holy actions. Guilt fights against our souls, our consciences, our comforts, our duties, yea, and our very graces also. There is nothing that wounds and lames our graces like guilt. There is nothing that weakens and wastes our graces like guilt, that hinders the activity of our graces like guilt. There, there, there is nothing that clouds our evidences of grace like guilt. Look, what water is to the fire, that our sinnings are to our graces, evidences, and duties. Guilt is the Prometheus's vulture that ever lies gnawing. Now, that Prometheus vulture that was the titan who stole fire from Olympus and gave it to mankind. As a punishment, Zeus chained him, Prometheus, to a rock where an eagle fed each day on his liver, which grew again each night. Hercules rescued him. Well, guilt is like that, ever gnawing. It's better with Evagrius, well, now that's a Syrian scholar and intellectual, an aide to the patriarch Gregory of Antioch. To lie on a bed of straw with a good conscience than to lie on a bed of down with a guilty conscience. What the probationer disciple said to our Savior, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That a guilty conscience saith to the sinner, that whithersoever thou goest, I will follow thee. 
If thou goest to a fast, I will follow thee and fill thy mind with black and dismal apprehensions of God, says Satan. If thou goest to a feast, I will follow thee and shew thee the handwriting on the wall. If thou goest abroad, I will follow thee and make thee afraid of every leaf that wags. Thou shalt look upon every bush as an armed man and upon every man as a devil. If thou stayest at home, I will allow thee to be followed by me from room to room and fill thee with horror and terror. If thou liest down to rest, I will follow thee with fearful dreams and tormenting apparitions. If thou goest into thy closet, I will follow thee and make thy very closet a hell to hold thee. That's the guilty conscience. It is storied of King Richard III that after he had murdered his two nephews in the tower, guilt lay so hard upon his conscience that his sleeps were very unquiet, for he would often leap out of his bed in the dark, and catching his sword in his hand, which hung by his bedside, he would go distractedly about his chamber, seeking for the traitor. And so Charles the Ninth of France, after he had made the streets of Paris run down with the blood of the Protestants, he could seldom take any sound sleep, nor could he endure to be awakened out of his sleep without music. Judge Morgan, that passed the sentence of condemnation upon Jane Grey, a virtuous lady, shortly after fell mad, and in his raving cried out continually, Take away the Lady Jane from me! Take away the Lady Jane from me! And in that horror ended his wretched life. James Abias, going to execution for Christ's sake. As he went along, he gave his money and his clothes to one and another until he had given all away to his shirt, whereupon one of the sheriff's men fell a scoffing and deriding of him, told him that he was a madman and a heretic and not to be believed. But as soon as the good man was executed, this wretch was struck mad and threw away his clothes and cried out that James Abias was a good man and gone to heaven, but that he was a wicked man and was damned. And thus he continued crying out until his death. Certainly he that derides or smites a man for walking according to the word of the Lord, the Lord will, first or last, so smite and wound that man's conscience that all the physicians in the world shall not heal it. Now, if thy indisposition to private prayer springs from contracting guilt upon thy conscience, then thy best way is speedily to renew thy repentance, and greatly to judge and humble thine own soul, and so to act faith afresh upon the blood of Christ, both for pardoning mercy and for purging grace. When a man is stung with guilt, it is his highest wisdom in the world to look up to the brazen serpent and not to spend his time or create torments to his own soul by a perpetual pouring upon his guilt. When guilt upon the conscience works a man to water the earth with tears and to make heaven ring with his groans, then it works kindly. When the sense of guilt drives a man to God, to duty, to the throne of grace, then it will not be long night with that man. He that thinks to shift off private prayer under the pretense of guilt doth but in that increase his own guilt. Neglect of duty will never get guilt off the conscience. But when there is an involuntary indisposition to private prayer, as in a, a sick man 
who would work and walk but cannot, being hindered by his disease. Or as it is with a man that hath a great chain on his leg, he would very fain walk or, or get away, but his chain hinders him. Now, if your indisposition to private prayer be an involuntary indisposition, then God will, in mercy, in course, uh, both pardon it and remove it. Secondly, there is a total indisposition to private prayer, and there is a partial indisposition to private prayer. A total indisposition is when a man hath no mind at all to private prayer, nor no will at all to it, nor no love at all to it, or delight, no heart at all in private prayer. Now, where this frame of heart is, there all is not, very not, stark not, that is, evil or wicked. A, a partial indisposition to private prayer is when a man hath some will to private prayer, though not such a will as once he had, and some mind to private prayer, though not such a mind as once he had, some affections, though not warm and burning as he once had. Now, if your indisposition to private prayer be total, then you must wait upon the Lord in all his appointments for a changed nature, and for union with Christ. But if your indisposition to private prayer be only partial, then the Lord will certainly pardon it, and in the very use of holy means, in time, remove it. Thirdly and lastly, there is a transient, a accidental, occasional, or fleeting indisposition to private prayer. And there is the customary, constant, permanent. Now, a, a transient, or accidental, or fleeting in disposition to that which is good may be found upon the best of saints, as you may see in Moses and in Jeremiah and in Jonah and in David. Now, if this be the indisposition that thou art under, then thou mayest be confident that it will certainly work off by degrees as theirs did that I have last cited. Uh, but then there's a customary, a constant, permanent indisposition to private prayer and to all other holy duties of religion. Now, if this be the indisposition that thou art under, then I may safely conclude that thou art in the very gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And thy work lies not in complaining of thy indisposition, but in repenting and believing and in laboring for a change of thy heart and state. For until thy heart and thy state be changed, Thou wilt remain forever indisposed both to closet prayer and to all other duties of religion and godliness. And to see a sinner sailing hellward with wind and tide on his side, to alter his course and tack about for heaven, to see the earthly man become heavenly, the carnal man become spiritual, the proud man become humble, the vain man become serious, to see a sinner move contrary to himself in the ways of Christ and holiness is as strange as to see the earth fly upward or the bowl, that is the bowling ball, run contrary to its own bias. And yet a divine power of God upon the soul can effect it. And this must be effected before the sinner will be graciously inclined and sincerely disposed to closet prayer. And let thus much suffice by way of answer to this objection also. Now, Mr. Brooks now will enter into 11 words of counsel, which we will begin 
next time around. Thank you so much for listening. Again, look around the site. We have 3,600 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you want more than that, there are books at Amazon.com. Or go to bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com, and I'll share details of our Zoom meetings on Saturday and Tuesday. Thank you so much again. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 19th of May, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.